Hey, Haley. Yeah, Alyssa? Are you ready to change the narrative around women's sports? Let's do it. You are listening to Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski, and this is the Iron Women Podcast, a production from Live Feisty Media. Haley and Alyssa are longtime professional triathletes and coaches. Between them, they have completed more than 50 iron distance races and just as many 70.3s. Their accomplished careers include nine professional wins and one fastest known time. Haley, do I have to tell the listeners how many of those wins are mine? Nah, we'll keep that between us. The Iron Women podcast has a Patreon community which helps support our podcast. If you love the podcast, check us out at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And don't forget to tell a friend. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, Haley. I'm so excited to be out of the woods and back here with you today. Alyssa, I'm so happy you're back. I'm so happy you made it. I can't wait to hear all about your new fastest known time in the Adirondacks on the 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. So spoiler alert, I'm ruining it for anyone who doesn't know already. You set the new women's fastest known time for a supported record in the Adirondacks. But before I let you talk about that, we got to like talk about me, of course. And then we got to do some housekeeping because I want you to give like full answers and our listeners to have like their full, full attention. But first, like, we'll just, okay, tell me how you're feeling. I'm tired. My brain's a little mushy for sure. We record on Mondays. I ended at 8.16 p.m. on Thursday and then I traveled home Sunday. So I had, in theory, Friday and Saturday to like, get myself together but then Sunday's like a really it's a it was a nine hour drive back um and so it's just it's long days and like getting the everything packed back up and all of that like wasn't exactly relaxing in the days after but overall like I'm feeling good I'm I mean I'm definitely super super happy and excited and my body held up really well so like no nothing terrible is standing out but it definitely feels like I was in the woods for almost four days (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to hear more details on that incredible four-day feat that you uh, just accomplished. But first, we have some uh, exciting news from Live Feisty Media. Live Feisty is launching a new podcast, another podcast, Alyssa. Can you believe it? I can't. This is exciting. This new show is called Unfazed. It will be co-hosted by Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and Dr. Lisa Ingerfield, who are both coaches and age group triathletes. These two women plan to dovetail their work and their experience in diversity, equity, and inclusion with their love of endurance sports and holistic wellness. So the Unfazed podcast is going to launch on September 1st. And Alyssa, this is even more exciting. They're launching with a live recording that you can watch on Zoom. You can type in questions in your chat box. They will answer your own questions. But to do this, you have to sign up. So... If you want to be on this live recording, very first inaugural show of the Unfazed podcast with Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and Dr. Lisa Ingerfield, you need to go to unfazedpodcast.com. That's spelled U-N-P-H-A-S-E-D podcast.com and sign up for the live event. It's happening September 1st at 5 p.m. Pacific time. That will get you the email, like you'll get a return email with the Zoom link so that you can participate. If for some reason you're busy on September 1st at 5 p.m. Pacific, You can definitely still check out this podcast, whatever podcast app you use, just search for Unfazed Podcast anytime after September 1st, and you can start listening. I think this is going to be a fun one. They are promising to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to traverse new distances. Alyssa, I mean, I know your legs have traversed some new distances recently, but do you think your brain could use some traversing? I do. I think this is the perfect activity for recovery time to like start working on my brain, which was like, yeah, not getting a workout in a lot of the training time leading up to this. So I'm excited for this. I mean, these are two of the like most intelligent, most thought provoking people I've heard speak. So I have no doubt that they will give us some good content and that this is going to be something worth seeing live. And if you can't, then just, you know, listening to it in podcast form or on the recording. 
And the other cool news we have, Alyssa, is that we are recording this after August 23rd, which was the deadline for our Zelio Skincare Active Recovery Race Relief Giveaway. We get to give away three tubes of Active Recovery Race Relief Cold Therapy Gel from Zelio Skincare. We had some great entries and we're actually going to like, I'm going to pull up the random number generator in live time and we're going to like do this right now. Ooh, this is going to be exciting. All right. So we put everyone into the, the spreadsheet. We have everyone's assigned a number. Haley, I'll let you just like match and then say the name. We'll do that. Okay. I got it. I just did it. I did it at random.org. And then I'm looking at the list. Hold on one second. I'm highlighting the people. <laughs> okay. Our first winner. Are you ready for this? Yep. Go. Jill Kaipura. She did a solo 50 miler, three days in the Vermont mountains, and she's going for a 5K PR. Whoa, that's quite a range, Jill. So you will definitely be needing race relief, definitely after the first two things and definitely after a 5K PR that you go for because, yeah, all of those cause things that need race relief for. <laughs> yes. The next one is Sue Schoolcraft. Sue did five times a two and a half mile loop with 300 feet of climbing each loop. So it ended up being a 25 mile run with more than 2,500 feet of climbing from her home. That's pretty cool. That sounds like right up your alley, Alyssa, the five mile or five times a loop. That's awesome. Yes. I love accumulating the vert. So awesome. Sue. you will be getting some race relief for that. And our third winner is Andrea Cashman. Andrea had her first baby in April and she has taken up stroller running. That definitely sounds like it could make you sore and she needs some race relief gel. Awesome. Andrea, congratulations. So we will be in touch with all three of you and we will be getting that sent out to you. And Alyssa, there were a couple other really good stories that did not win, but we thank you to everyone who did enter. There were some like really, really cool stories that came in. Everything from a woman who was on Navy restriction, ran the four by four by 48, which I think you know about from being at the Naval Academy, Alyssa. I, I don't think I was ever on restriction, actually, because I would have been had I stayed for my my last two years. But I am interested. I would love to hear more of the backstory there because there's there's always a backstory when you're on restriction at Navy. But basically, you're like confined to the the yard or whatever the, the campus. And um, so she found creative ways to kill the time where she couldn't leave. And that's like four for four for 48 is like the perfect restriction activity. So I did really love that story. That's where you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Is that right? So it's like the Yeti yeah. challenge plus. Exactly. It's like the, yeah, the next step. For two days. Yep. Um, And then there was another woman who was bitten by red ants in her wetsuit, which sounds pretty terrible. She was also pulled over by the police while swimming. Um, We had some broken collarbones. 3K swim for time in a very impressive time. A gallbladder removal. I mean, there was incredible, incredible stories. And thank you to everyone who wrote in. We loved reading these. That was actually like, I feel like the real winners were us, Alyssa, because we got to read all these great submissions. So thank you and congratulations to Jill, Andrea, and Sue on your race relief. It will be in the mail or we'll be in touch with you and it'll be in the mail soon. And thank you to Zelio Skincare for sponsoring this very fun contest. And you can always get your own race relief if you didn't win at teamzelios.com with the code IRONWOMEN. I think that's right. <laughs> we'll double check that before I, when I edit. Our mailbag is always open for questions. We were using it for this case for the contest. But if you have questions that you would like us to answer on the air, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We are always ready and eager to answer your questions or to find someone else who knows if we don't. So thank you to everyone who entered. Thank you to everyone who's written in. And thank you, Alyssa, for letting me pick those numbers. That was quite fun. That was super exciting. We might need to do another sponsor contest next month. (laughs) The live reveal is quite fun. Speaking of kind of live reveals, Alyssa, before we start talking about your FKT, we're going to take a quick commercial break because I have a surprise for you right after the break. The Iron Women podcast loves Gooder sunglasses. They're made in recklessly fun colors and come in styles that actually look good. My favorite is Flamingos on a Booze Cruise. They have translucent pink frames and teal lenses that add a pop of color to all my workout clothes. Gooder sunglasses are no slip, no bounce, and polarized. I raced in a pair of Gooders at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials earlier this year. Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing, nothing at all. 
Fitter sunglasses start at only $25 a pair, so no discounts are needed when they're already the most affordable performance shades on the planet. Go to gooder.com forward slash feisty. That's G-O-O-D-R.com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. Check out the Live Feisty curated collection or pick up your own favorites. Look good, run gooder. Haley, it only took a global pandemic for me to realize how much I truly appreciated swimming and to make open water swimming something I am actually eager to do. Then you'll be super excited for our new 2020 partnership with Orca Wetsuits. Alyssa, you and our listeners can get 15% off at orca.com with the code IRONWOMEN15. This is meant to be. My first wetsuit I raced in was an Orca Wetsuit, actually, so I already know I like them. I've been trying out their Swim Run Wetsuit. Soon I'll have no excuse not to race one of those events. Thanks to Orca for getting us set up to tackle all the open water swim action. Don't forget, that's code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. You guys, Surprise. Megan. Okay, I, I'm, this is Haley speaking right now, and I need to tell what I just did. I just called Megan Jensen, who is Alyssa's athlete, and she is also a Adirondacks expert. And she is going to help me ask Alyssa questions about her FKT because I felt a little bit unqualified to ask all of the good questions. And I know that Megan, Megan is prepping for her own 46er attempt is there like a special title it's a 46er is that it is it a 46er attempt Megan maybe Megan you can tell us who you are (laughs) okay so I'm Megan Jensen and I grew up about uh, 15 miles from the northeast border of the Adirondacks so that I guess makes me an expert in the area Um, I've since moved but Alyssa's my coach and she's been coaching me all year to prepare for the 46 peaks in the Adirondacks, which I will do over 13 days, a bit slower than Alyssa. Alyssa, are you surprised? I'm so surprised. This is like, I have like goosebumps. I'm like so excited. I want to like reach out and hug Megan. I'm like, I'm like yeah, I'm so excited. This is awesome, you guys. Same. All right. So Megan is going to be the expert and I'm going to ask like the like lay person questions. So I'm going to turn over the uh, this interview to Megan and she's going to start asking you questions about this amazing, incredible feat that you just accomplished. Megan, take it away. Okay. So first, Alyssa, I have to say, so on all the hiking Facebook pages and all the blogs and all the locals right now, you are being called superhuman. And the reason you're being called superhuman is because these 46 peaks, most people do them over like five, 10 years, sometimes 20 years. Um, and you did it over three days, 16 hours and 16 minutes, which is mind blowing to, uh, the average hiker in the Adirondacks. You have to be so happy with the results. Talk to me about that. I'm super pumped. Like, I don't think when you, when you take on something like this, you just, you make your plan and you make your best case scenario, but like, it's impossible to even fathom what like could go wrong and everything else. And so you basically lay out your plan for your crew and you're like, this is how it's going to go, but also expect it to not go like this at all. And you guys are going to have to like wing it as it like falls off the plan. And that's what, you know, that's what happened in Vermont. And like, that was just expected. Cause that's like what happens with these things. And so as I was going through and I was like, we're not falling off the plan. Like this is actually going like super, super well. That was just like giving fuel to my fire. And I was like, okay, like, I can actually be done before like darkness really sets in on Thursday. I can be done before like, you know, and beat some of the guys times that are on the leaderboard and stuff like that. So like, I mean, it went beyond like what I would have ever really thought would have happened. And I'm just so excited. It's yeah, it's been really cool. Because you're not just the fastest known time for females, but you are the second fastest time ever. So you even beat out, a couple of the fastest known times for the males, right? Yeah. So there were two guys who were on kind of the, the record boards, um, as having previous records. And so there was, there's this guy, he calls himself cave dog (laughs) who set the record in 2002, but cave dog is a Barkley finisher. I would love to point out to you. Um, his finishing time is two hours slower than mine. Um, and so that puts me in good company. And then in 2008, 
eight, I believe it was, um, Jan Welford took on the, was it 2008 or 2012? My, my brain is mush, so I'll blame it on that. But Jan Welford, um, beat cave dogs time by one hour. So he was like three days, 17 hours and, um, 18, 14 minutes or something like that. So Jan is like a, a really, he's like a legend in that area. Um, he's actually the guy that I reached out to when I was getting help planning my route. He gave me a ton of advice. We went for a run one day in July and he helped me scout a bushwhacking section. And, when I was planning my route and putting together my pacing, I kept like looking at it and seeing it come out to like a time that was faster than Jan's. And I was like, there's no, you know, and I, at one point I looked at one of my crew, I was like, Jim, like, does this make sense to you? Like, am I going to beat Jan and Jim and just run with Jan too? And I was like, does, you know, does this make sense that I'm going to end up faster than Jan? And he was like, what? It makes sense on paper. So like, we're just going to go with it, you know, but to have it play out like that was really cool. And so I have to touch base with Dion and see if he's like bitter. He gave me too much advice or something, but no, no, no. The, the kind of guy he is, I'm sure he's thrilled. <laughs> One hour. That's amazing. I want to just recap a little bit. Alyssa, can you tell us a little bit again about your total distance covered, total elevation covered? And was it what you expected the total distance? Cause I know that the route finding here is a little bit, it's a little, there's not necessarily a straight path that you're following the whole time. Yeah. I think when I'm, I put through, so there's um, a program called Gaia it's G A I A. Um, and it's like a computer version and an app version. And that was like, it's a really good mapping tool for people who are trying to map out trails and things like that in the woods. So that's what I put everything into to kind of get my estimates. And that put me at about 152 miles and 60,000 feet of elevation gain, I think. And um, I was mentally prepared for like a 10% error on that because it doesn't do well with like mapping bushwhacks because one, your odds of like following the straight line you mapped when you're bushwhacking is slim to none. And then two, um, it's just like computer error, right? And in terms of certain things. So um, I was prepared for, I was hoping for like a 10% error that was like too high, but um, that wasn't the case. So ultimately by my Garmin, which I feel like I had it on like full tracking capabilities. I didn't do like ultra track or anything to, to minimize that. That came out to a total of 160 miles and 67,000 feet of elevation gain. So it was a lot. It was definitely a lot. Alyssa, people are asking me about this bushwhacking because they hear the word bushwhacking and they think that you have a machete and that you're going through the woods with a machete. What is bushwhacking and what did that look like? I laugh every time people ask if I had a machete. I'm like, the last thing you want me to actually have when I'm bushwhacking is a machete. Like, I can assure you of that. <laughs> and so bushwhacking is basically going off trail. And so so much of the Adirondacks is public land. There's a quite a bit of private land like dispersed throughout with like hunt clubs and things like that. But most of it is like vast areas of public land. And so since the terrain is like so technical and slow that often if you just like cut, you know, cut the tangent um, basically through the woods, that might be the shorter option depending on how far out of the way you would have to like loop up and around to get to a certain point. So it's basically using like map and compass type of navigation to get through the woods, not on trail from point A to point B. And so it's definitely something you need to be experienced and like practice to do. I don't necessarily encourage people to go out to the Adirondacks right away to bushwhack. But like for me, I learned doing local orienteering events. I would just like wander around the woods by my house where I felt safe and like get my bearings and things like that. And, but there's no, yeah, you're not like cutting through the machetes. You're just like using your hands and like, sometimes it's, it's like awful. Like sometimes you're literally like, you feel like you're up against a wall of trees and you're like, how the F do I get through this? And so you're like low crawling underneath the pine trees, right. To like push your way through, you, you know, like there again, I had Jan's input. I had some looked at routes of, from the, the previous record holder from last year. And so I had seen routes and I knew they were at least like doable and I had practiced them all ahead of time. So that was like definitely very key too. And I had one of my crew members, he's like an expert in navigation in my mind and he does a lot of adventure racing with, and he's the navigator and things like that. So you, you basically, yeah, you're like, you're just walking through the woods, like whatever's there, you go through it. And it's like, you go towards your path you want. Did you ever get lost? Mm, I mean, I feel like whenever you're bushwhacking, you're always kind of lost. <laughs> um, 
but no. So we, you know, we had, we also had like, you have technology. So like nothing in FKT rules says you can't use technology. If you go do proper orienteering events, like you're not allowed to pull out a cell phone app and double check where you are. But like the, again, the Gaia app is actually great. It works even in airplane mode to like help you figure out exactly where you are. And you can like follow your little line if you've mapped it ahead of time type of thing. But during the attempt itself, so when I practiced, I felt lost quite a bit, but like, it's more of just a feeling than, you know, and learning to like trust my navigation skills. But during the attempt, I put all my trust in Jim and like this other guy, Aaron, that was with us at one point. And I was like, you guys go, I'm just, I was like blindly following at that point. And just, I knew they would lead me to the right point. Who were your other members of the team and what did they do? Yeah. So I had about eight people. Um, so I had Jim who I've talked about. He, um, was also like pacing me for some other sections, but navigation was definitely like one of his kind of main duties. I would say Jim's wife, Kate was there. She had, she was like one of the, definitely one of the MVPs as I was running through like the days I was like, this is definitely like I've given Kate more jobs than a lot of people have had and like not had her rest at all. So like hopefully she was holding up, but she was kind of like the logistical master to like make sure the camps were being set up at night, like the food would be there. Um, camp was being broken down. And like some of those were like five mile hike ins into the trails and things like that. So that was a huge, huge job when you consider she would be taking in and like getting in there multiple sets of like tents and sleeping things for people to be doing. I had Brian who was there in the first half of the week. He was just helping out with like logistics and getting things set up. I had Sherry who was there and, and we were using her van, um, which was like a game changer to be able to be sleeping in the van. And she was kind of just helping like be a buddy for hike and hike outs with people too. John, who's actually my boyfriend, Matt's dad, um, was there as a pacing help. And that was huge. Matt, my boyfriend was a big pacing and help and he did all sorts of other stuff. Um, one of my other athletes, Courtney was there as a pacer help. And then actually a guy who was a stranger until day three, mile 20, Aaron <laughs> was there. <laughs> and we met for the first time at a lean to in the middle of the Adirondacks where he showed up on time with a Coke for me, which was amazing. Um, and he helped pace a bunch of the, the rest of the section. So that was like, that was the core group. Were you always running with someone? So in this one, I actually did some stuff alone just because with the pacers, so the pacers are carrying their water and their fuel to get through a chunk of miles to give reference. So like for Courtney, she started the first section with me. That was a 20, 20, 21 mile section that was going to take us eight hours. So she had a full pack, like not like just for herself, basically to get through that. And then I'm like, oh, also you have to carry like 90% of what I need too. So the packs that the pacers are carrying and doing those miles and that elevation gain with is like very heavy. And so because of that, you know, I had to do a little bit on my own at bits and pieces. And some of that might be like, there was an out and back to a peak. And so it was like a two mile round trip thing. And my pacer might just stay put at the intersection. And I would do the out and back and like, just carry minimal stuff for that. The biggest thing I did on my own was probably the second day when um, John did the big climb. So he like hoofed everything up the huge climb up to the top of Macomb. And then he sent me on my way, like across the ridge line, which had still climbing, but like a lot less than that huge one to take on at the beginning. And eventually I descended down the other side and picked up Jim. So like we kind of linked it all up. So I was never alone for too long, but, um, there was definitely sometimes when I was alone and I was like, super hyper-focused during that time because I was like, this is when I like cannot miss a peak. I cannot mess up. I like really need to make sure I'm, I'm focused and like checking off what I need to do. Cause that was my biggest nightmare was that I'd like accidentally skip a peak at some point. <laughs> and there's major obstacles out there. So there's ladders, there's ropes, there's floating bridges, there's the slime on Allen, all these kinds of things. Did ever anything go wrong during any of those like obstacles? I definitely stepped in mud a lot, like deeper than I ever wanted to, but I was very focused on taking it slow. Like when I, when I started, I told Courtney, I was like, we need to like get myself through this next four days, like in one piece. And like, we need the crew to get through it in one piece because 
it's so remote that like if something happened to the crew, I can't just like leave and be like, oh, I'll just tell them and they'll be here for you in an hour. Right. Like it would derail everything. So being conservative to the point of being safe was like actually, you know, definitely a consideration in that sense. We didn't want to be like bombing down the ladders and, you know, getting your toes stuck in a rung and then falling down the ladder. Like, no, I was getting to the ladder and turning around and like going down like a grandma if I needed to, because that was like safer. Right. So, so no major like mishaps and stuff. I mean, I definitely had falls and mostly on like slime on Allen where I like didn't see. And it was just like one step, your feet go out. And Matt's like, Oh, you look like a cartoon character falling back. Like that. I was like, Oh, thanks. But for the most part, there was like no, no catastrophes like that, I guess. And I didn't like, there's one bog where I've seen pictures of people literally up to like their chest level in like the, the, cause then you just, it looks like it's not, it looks like it's like at least, you know, maybe a little wet, but not that wet. And people step in and it's just like, whoosh, your whole body goes in. And so again, like when I got to that section, I was like, mentally, I'm not going to take it if I'm like going swimming. Right. Cause I'm also like, how do you even get out of that? So I would take, get at like, get my trekking poles out, build, take the time to build them. And then like use them as like a walking stick to be able to like feel out the ground I was stepping into to make sure I was not taking the step that was going to like get me dunked completely underwater. <laughs> this sounds like, like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. Wait, what is this slime on Alan? Like, what is that? Is this a slimy mountain? <laughs> I don't know if it's just like algae or like yeah. some moss. Maybe it's moss or There's something. There's only one one mountain in particular that has like this slime. And it's red. It's like known as like the red slime. <laughs> but it's real. It's there. It's for it, sure it's there. But it must be some form of like moss that grows up there or something. I'm sure you could probably Google it and find like the exact scientific what it, what it is. Yeah, the expert doesn't know. It's moss. moss. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. (laughs) There was one moment, Alyssa, when I was watching the tracker that I like was like getting nervous and my heart was beating so fast. And that was when you were getting done uh, cascade and you were going to go over to street and Nye. So the, the Adirondack lodge parking. Okay. It's infamous for being the uh, worst parking spot because it fills up by like 5 30 AM. There's a line of cars getting in there and Alyssa's doing her FKT and she's going right at it at that time. And my heart was just like beating so fast. How did you figure out the logistics of like the parking? So Luckily, I that was like a huge crew duty that they had to figure out. So there's like a turnaround section right at the like parking gate attendant. And so I they basically drove me up and pulled into that little turnaround. I like jumped out of the car and my pacers like I had Courtney and John with me for that one. And so we all three just basically like hopped out for the hike. And then we were like, see, ya, like you guys figure it out. And so what they did, they couldn't park there. It was full. So they had gone to park. Um, it's like a mile or so down the road at this road, South Meadow road. And so, um, we were on the hike and I got a message towards the bottom, you know, and I had kind of started thinking like, I wonder how they're going to know when we are like are done, you know, but I was like, well, I guess worst case, we're like jogging the extra mile down the road. Then I got a message to my satellite thing from them that said like, let us know when you're coming. We will like, it was basically like they had someone at the trailhead with a bike. And so that person was going to like, when they like got the message or whatever that we were coming, they were going to bike down to the van to be getting the van. And so I started thinking about this and it like took me a a little bit to like start doing the math of the pacing and like what we were doing and what time we were going to pop out. And I was like, Ooh, so I sent a message back that was like, we'll be there at 1115. And then I think it was that whatever it was. And then I started thinking more and I was like, Ooh, I was like, we're actually going to be there at like 11. So I was like, shoot, now I sent this message and the messages don't always go through. You don't really know like what they're seeing. So I looked at John and I was like, you guys, we have to stop for a second. And I was like, John, you now we were like fast hiking at that point and the train wasn't too bad. It was like mostly flat ish to get out. And I was like, John, you have to run like a race to to the end of the trail. And I was like, you have to get there. And like assess the situation and let them know like we are coming and like to go get that van. And so he just looked at me and I was like, he's like, what, you know, like, is this tricky to get out? I was like, Nope, you just go to the end and turn left and then you'll hit the parking lot. And so he did, he like ran. And then by the time I got there, it was like, 
it was perfect for me. And so like I, I did, I asked people about those moments and they said it was pretty chaotic because like they realized when they saw John that we were coming quite a bit ahead of like what they thought. And so like Matt took off running on the bike. He did like a flying mount on this mountain bike that like was, you know, a million miles an hour down the road to South Meadows, picked up the van, like drove the back van back up. And like, I was none the wiser. Cause I got there. They had a little folding chair for me. My parents had arrived and made some tater tots. And so I was like happily just eating tater tots and like taking my socks off. And I was like, Oh, what's like all this? Everyone's so rushed. Like what's going on. But <laughs> This all-star crewing. Yeah, it was, I mean, the crew's jobs for that kind of stuff, like that is like, I can't even explain if you don't have a crew that understands how, one, like how much time you can lose during that time. And then two, like just how important it is to be mindful of those things. Like, you know, a lot can go wrong. So, so luckily, luckily my crew was well-versed in all that. How much driving was involved? So the first day I had an hour drive between the first 21 miles and then the second like 24. So I was able to get in the car. It had rained a ton. So I basically just like wrapped a towel around me and like got in the back of the van naked to like dry off and then was like eating quesadillas. And I was like, Oh, this is like high point of being 35, like (laughs) naked quesadilla eating in the back of the van. Like when you have to go run a million more miles, this is lovely. So Uh, And your boyfriend's dad's like driving you, right? So like, (laughs) does life get any better than this? Like, I don't know. Um, So I had an hour then. And then at the end of that night, I only had five minutes. We only had to drive a mile to the next spot. I had a 45 minute drive in between day two, like in between those segments. And then no driving until day four when I had three probably 25 or 30 minute drives. And so, um, not a ton of driving, but you definitely get some breaks. And those are, I found them to be like monumental in terms of like my ability to just rebound and like rest for a second. I would pull my buff over my ears and my eyes. So like, I just didn't pay attention to anything going on. And I would try and catch a quick nap as much as I could in the van during those times. The longest or What seemed to me to be the day that like pushed you ahead and was one of your like most extraordinary moments was day three when you had the 35 mile, what Hillary's calling the slow jam. You hit 16 peaks during that time. What was that day like? Because you seemed like you were cruising on that day. That day was like a, such a, just a, I don't know. I don't want to say a, like something cursed too much, but it's a, it was a bit of a mind fuck to be honest. Because, uh, so I guess we're doing it. Um, <laughs> Not cursing too much, just a casual F bomb. <laughs> but I mean, there's really no other way to put it, but because like up to that point, I was actually ahead of my schedule. And so in my head, I'm like, I'm moving well, I'm doing so well. But I also knew I'm like the great range for day three is so slow. Like no matter how I cut it, it's so slow. It's actually so slow that when I scouted it in September, I like aborted the mission and cut it early because I was like not making good enough time. So I was like balancing all of these thoughts and feelings about like I'm moving well and I know I'm moving well, but like, God, why is my my pace like so darn slow? Right. So it was good and it was bad. But like one thing I do is I definitely can measure like how I'm feeling off my pacers. And so like I could see that Matt was like trying really hard and like expending a lot of energy like you can definitely tell when like you have a pacer who's if they're like super cheery and like it's no work for them to keep up with you then you're like ooh, like I'm not moving super fast but like if your pacer is having to like work for it then you're like okay I'm like moving along well so I could tell by Matt's effort that we were still moving well um but we were we definitely did like lose time on that day and then I think having Aaron like the stranger that I had never met come in and inject like energy was huge. I mean, you can see that he came in, he brought me the Coke. I chugged the Coke and like the next mountain, when I uploaded this to Strava, I'm, I got like the course record for that mountain. Right. So that was like a clear boost, right? You're three days in and you're setting course records. Yeah. And then like, I had hiked that mountain before. So like I hiked it then with Aaron faster than I had done it in training one day, you know? And so you know, I mean, it says a lot about a lot of things, I guess at that point. But, um, and after that, I also came like down, we, I could tell, like I had put a lot of energy into that one. I was like, well, I need to like regulate myself a little bit more. 
and probably do like a slow drip of Coke instead of chugging Cokes in the future. (laughs) But, you know, things like that. And again, like I could see that Aaron was like not he wasn't working super hard to keep up. But like even him fresh was like, you know, we weren't just dogging it. So that gave me a lot of hope that I was moving well enough for that really long day. And we actually realized that Aaron had left his lights at the lean to where he met us by accident. And so when we went to take out our headlamps, Aaron was like, "Uh Oh, <laughs> like I have no lights. And so I was like, okay, well that's okay. Like I wear two because I wear a waist lamp and a headlamp. So I was like, okay, well we have enough lights to like get us all there safely And so I actually gave him my headlamp because I like my waist lamp. But, you know, just having that like kind of hiccup, I guess, like it was by no means did it really slow us down. It was nothing, but it was like a just a little hiccup that I was like, okay, something went wrong. We like are getting through it. We're going to be fine. And it was like kind of more like adrenaline, I guess, to help get through that last push. And at the end of that segment, we hike up Phelps mountain and it's like in the daytime I've been there and it's a, it's like an amazing view and um, really cool. But we were there in pitch blackness and we looked up and the sky was like breathtaking. And so I've seen some sky in like Texas when I did that race in Texas, like not affected by man-made light and stuff like that. And this was like very close to that. Like I actually saw the Milky way, which I'm not sure I had really ever seen before. So we turned out our headlamps for a second and we're just like looking up at the sky and how like cool that was. And so that was a really nice moment, followed promptly by a moment where I was like, oh, this is like the only ball I've dropped you guys. Like I don't have the exact track for our bushwhack off of the backside of Phelps like anywhere for us. So like I thought we were going to kind of be here three hours ago and it was still light. And I would remember by looking and I was like, now I can't see anything. So give me a minute here. And so I was like, I think it's over here. And so we took a couple of the trails. I kept being like, I think it's this one. I think it's this one. And Aaron's like, we're turning left a lot. And like three minutes later, we're back at the same spot where we had been stargazing. And so I was like, Hmm, (laughs) like again, okay, let's try the other path that we saw. And so, and again, like Aaron and and myself and Matt are all experienced with map and compass enough that like, if it came down to that, we would have like taken out the right tools and done it and like been fine. Um, but we were, we were just tired and being like a little lazy. So we, we were like, okay, let's try one more path. And that ended up being the right one to get us back down. But, you know, definitely like a little bit of, you know, I guess it wasn't all smooth sailing, but the hiccups we did have were fairly minor in the scheme of things. Well, I'm going to tell you, it looked very speedy on the tracker. So yes, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) When Megan mentioned the full parking lot earlier, I mean, were these trails crowded? Did you have to, I mean, or was that a perk because you meet up with a stranger with a Coke? I mean, there can be a perk to having other people out there, but like, were you ever like stuck behind people? No, definitely never stuck in like a bottleneck sense. And I had purposefully planned to do my route so that I was getting to some more crowded peaks when I thought I would be like more tired and like just in my experience hiking out there, people are so friendly. Everyone wants to like know what peaks you're hiking in, like all of that. And like everyone, if you want to sit and chat, like there will be someone to sit and chat with you in some of those more crowded areas. And so I was like, okay, it'll be nice to have just friendly faces around people. And I didn't realize, but like in those first two days when I wasn't seeing as many people, there had been some press that had been released about Sarah and I racing in the, for the peaks. And so people knew like the Adirondacks is a very tight knit community. There's like Facebook groups where the information sharing is insane. And so all of a sudden Matt's like, well, how do these people know you? And I'm like, I have no idea. But I was like, I guess there's some articles out or something because people were like, are you Alyssa? They're like, are you one of the racers? And like, I was getting recognized by these people. They were moving out of the way to like, let me go through. I took some selfies. Like it was super, super fun. People were like super excited. Um, you know, I definitely had some people be like, I'm cheering for Sarah cause she's the local, but I also want you to do well, you know, and things like that. I think the only time we got held up was like, <laughs> there's this swinging bridge and there's these two older men. And the first older man goes to the middle of the bridge and the second older man's like stopped at the entry point. And I'm like, what is going on? And then the first older man's like taking out this digital camera and trying to like, you know, wait till the swinging bridge is like settled and like smooth. And then so he can like get his shot and like the other guy's not moving and like we're just standing behind him like what's going on. So I say, I'm like, oh, are you are you going to go across? And he like looks at me. He's like, oh, I'm just letting my friend take a picture first. And I was like, okay. And then he's like, are you guys in a hurry? 
And there's like dead silence. And I go, actually, we kind of are. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, oh, okay. And he like moves to the side and like, we all go through. And then his friend is on the other side and his friend looks at me and he's like, are you one of the racers? And I was like, I am. So like, I felt better that he at least knew part of the story of like why we were in a hurry. And he was again, super nice. Like everyone wanted to know. People were asking me what felt like a lot of math questions. They were like, how many peaks have you done? Like what, how many are today? Like that kind of thing. And I was like, I, I mean, I guess the point where I was just saying a random number because it was generally pretty close. Why did you pick giant as your last peak? Logistically, I felt that that was the best choice time wise. Like when I did all of the math between those last three sections of the driving time, I didn't want to end on street and Nye, So it was either going to be ending street and Nye, Whiteface and Esther or giant and Rocky. And so when I did the driving time calculations, I felt like I didn't want to end on street and Nye. So then it was Whiteface and Esther. And I wanted to come down the ski slopes at Whiteface and Esther because you can do that one point to point. And instead of doing an out and back, you can just drop down the ski slope, which is a little bit faster than going back down the trail. And for me, I figured like four days in, it was going to be considerably faster, probably. And so the rules of the FKT state, you have to start and end at an established trailhead. And I didn't feel comfortable enough saying that the ski center was an established trailhead because I just, I didn't, they allow hiking and like, you're allowed to hike on the ski slopes and stuff. But I was like, eh, I feel like that's too debatable. Like for me to feel good about doing that as my ending point. So yeah, the only one left, I guess, was giant and Rocky and giant was one of the first high peaks that I hiked. And I, that one has like really, really cool views of the high peaks. And when you, you do that one with Rocky, Rocky peak and, when you're on Rocky, you actually are looking at the high peaks in one direction and then you turn around and you can see the green mountains in Vermont in the other. So like it was a bit more technical of a trail than I probably would have liked to end on ideally, but it was, you know, like sentimental a little bit and definitely worthwhile. And we had, we were definitely lucky with like a really good night to get those views at that time. Megan did an amazing job keeping us updated on the race involved. You mentioned Sarah Kais. Is that how you pronounce her last name? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Sarah earlier and it was a little bit hard to follow because she started four hours ahead of you and you weren't following the exact same route. But Megan here, our Adirondacks expert, she did an incredible job keeping all of social media updated on who was ahead roughly. When did you know that you we're likely going to be the person who won and set the women's fastest known time. I didn't feel good until I was over on my last four, like going up white face. I was like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. I mean, your mind can play so many tricks with you. And so even though people were telling me coming out of day three, she still has a bunch left. She's behind you. You know, we had just crossed paths like for in my mind. And so I had known in some pre-race talks that she did that she wanted to be at the top of Mount Marcy for sunrise. And when I crossed paths with her, if that was her schedule, she was well behind that. So I knew that at least. But at the same time, I'm like, did she change her route? Like, did something else happen? You know, like you can't take she could have changed her route. And like, she didn't have to tell me that. Right. So I couldn't necessarily take that as like a 100 percent reason she was behind. And then I also knew at that point I had just come out of the great range, which gets you 10 peaks pretty quickly. And she was going into the great range. So I was like, you know, if she did take a longer sleep and now she's feeling good and she pushes the great range, like, boom, she has 10 more and we're a lot closer than people think. And I didn't know like what she need to sleep after that or what was going on with her. Right. So I definitely did not like rest on my laurels until I was through into those last four. Cause I knew she would have those same last four too. So I felt pretty good. Like if she had any more than that, when we were starting there, I would, I could kind of realize that I was going to do it. But at the same time with those trails, it's like, okay, now just like watch every step you take and don't mess anything up. (laughs) Don't break an ankle now. Megan, you called it earlier. I think I called it. Yeah. I called it at like 1 PM on the third day. You were cruising so good. And she had dicks to go, which is Oh, that's a that's a lot of work, Dick's range compared to you had like street and night ago. It just seemed like it was it was a done deal. Matt did call Matt did tell me that there was some early reporting done, but he's like it, it worked out fine because it was correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't jinx you. Yeah, how did that change your whole experience though? Having like an actual in person competitor versus a long trail where you're kind of chasing a ghost? 
mentally, it definitely gives you a boost because it's like another, it's like an, a, a reason that's present to keep pushing. But at the same time with these things, like you can only do what you can do to some extent. And like part of the success of it, I think comes from making a really good plan and then sticking to your plan. And so if I had gotten word that like I was four peaks behind, you know, at the middle of day three, it's like, I was trying my hardest the whole time, you know, and like I was on reserving my energy in like very controlled ways to make sure I could get through what I needed to get through. And so I don't know I would have done too much until maybe the last like segment or two, you know, like I didn't want those to have to come down to like really racing. But until that point, I don't think I would have changed too much because so much can go wrong. Like when you're three days into something and only had eight hours of sleep or 10 hours of sleep, like your whole body can just flip like in an instant and you can go from feeling great to feeling awful and moving like half a mile an hour. So I was very much aware of that after my time on the long trail when that happened. So I really just was trying to stay focused on like using it as motivation, but sticking to my plan. You have been fundraising for the Payton Institute and retreat for writers of color. I was wondering if Alice Green called you. Did you call Alice Green? Have you talked since you set the FKT? So initially, you mean like initially who, who talked to who or like afterwards? Afterwards, like to congratulate? Yeah, I called Alice and, um, well, I, I actually emailed Alice first and then, um, I, I told her I'll call her like early this week to chat about it all and things like that. And she, she wrote me back right away and was like super, super excited about it all. Ever since she found out like that it was happening and going, like she's been nothing but supportive and trying to get me some attention for it and has just been saying that the painting Institute is something that doesn't get a ton of attention with the, I mean, the work they're doing is absolutely phenomenal. Like the center for law and justice in Albany does social justice work that is beyond anything. I think I even really comprehend. And so the painting Institute to her has just been like a labor of love that she kind of does on the side. And so for that to get attention and funding like this, I think like that's unexpected has been pretty special for them. And so it's, it's been really meaningful to get connected with that community and, I'm hopeful that in a non-COVID time, I'll be able to make a trip up there and get to meet her in person. And I think you've raised more than $6,000 for the Payton Institute so far. And that fundraiser is still open, right? Yes. I'm leaving the link on my Instagram for the foreseeable future. So if you can go to the link and donate or just share it across your networks and stuff, all of that is very much appreciated. And every little bit definitely helps. You call these projects Wandolin. And that name you say means to walk into change. And so I was wondering, how did this project change you? Oh, man. (sighs) I think whenever I do it, and this is like going to make me cry, it's just like you realize how much you can't do on your own. And like to have these people who come together and they do these things for you and they give up a week and they take off of work and they feed you, they like are wiping your legs. They're rubbing your feet. They're like doing things that you would never as an adult, like ever want another adult to be doing to you. (laughs) And like, it just means so much that my goals can be like, mean something to them too. And just to be able to bring a community together that like wants to be a team and like go after this crazy idea that I had of a record in the woods. And so I knew that after Vermont and I know that after other things that, you know, happen in life, but it's like every time something like this happens, I'm just more and more grateful for the community that's out there. That is the endurance sport community. And the fact that, you know, to the naked eye, a lot of times the crew looks like a ragtag group of people and to have people like come together with their different skill sets and like pull off something like this successfully is so, so special. And nothing I can ever do or say or like get can convey how much that means to me. But I just, I love the, the act of like bringing people together and remembering that like as a team, you can do such great things. I was told that for the long trail and for this project, uh, you aren't allowed to see your parents (laughs) until the last day. So (laughs) Why is that? And what does it mean to you to have your parents there? 
So my mom, especially, I mean, my parents are lovely, but my mom particularly just worries as mothers do. Right. And so she is famous for like coming to my ultra marathons and my Ironmans and she'll be like, it's okay to stop. Like you don't look good. You know, like she'll say she'll just like totally well-meaning, but like she just worries and she just wants me to be okay. And so if like, she thinks I need to be sitting down eating gummy bears and like resting, then she wants me to be doing that. Right. So logistically it works best to kind of have them like in the background while I get through some of the really hard, hard stuff. And then, you know, they come out and like give me that support because I think when they see that, like, towards the end when it gets really hard, like I'm so close and that's the time, you know, like that's when they, they don't do the, it's okay to stop. They're like, you're not stopping. You're so close. Like you're getting after it now. And so that's when it's like, you know, we kind of shift into those roles and it's really helpful. And of course, like I start to realize like they're there for me and I want to make them proud, you know? And so that's like a little extra fuel to the fire for sure. My dad's also really good at making tater tots, which I like to eat towards the end. And my, they, they are like, they have, I mean, they're parents, right? And so they're so good with like feeding people and taking care of people. So they were the perfect people to have back at the house as crew members were rotating in and out and we had to like make sure they were fed and rested for their next shift. So they did a phenomenal job with that. Megan, I want to know what you're thinking going into your attempt coming up and how watching your coach do this has changed you. Yeah, for sure. So one thing I wanted to tell Alyssa this story, because this is how it's changed me watching this is in June, I was hiking in the Adirondacks. I was doing the lower great range and I was going from upper wolf jaw, lower wolf jaw. Armstrong Gothic. So I'm at the top of Gothics and there's a guy that I'm talking to about what I'm going to do. And I'm asking him what he's going to do. And he's like, well, I just came through Sawtooth and, you know, now I'm doing this. And I go, well, maybe I'll do that. And he goes, no, you shouldn't do that. That's really hard. You shouldn't, that's, you should go in a different direction. You know, you should just go back. And I was like, you're right. That's true. I just, you know, hiked yesterday. I I should do that. And I'm thinking to myself now, like when I think about Alyssa finishing this and, and what it means to like what women can do in the mountains and, and just having the confidence in yourself when you're out there, like, no, I could have went and done saw teeth. Like it wasn't a problem. I am definitely in shape. And, and, and I think that watching Alyssa do this, like has given me the confidence to not let anybody tell me what I can and cannot do and to, to make my own rules out there for sure. And then for what's going to happen. So I start on Sunday and the person that trained me for this is now the, the women's FKT holder. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked and pretty ready. My fitness is definitely there for this. And, and I'm, I'm just so psyched. Will we be able to follow you since I had so much fun following Alyssa? Can we, can we track you now? I mean, this is two weeks of fun. I mean, it could be like the four days was honestly not enough. (laughs) So Alyssa did give me her garment in reach so that I can have a link where people track me, but Guys, you didn't do so well tracking on that thing. So I'm going to definitely put up <laughs> pictures and like explain what's going on on my Instagram feed. <laughs> Are you going to sleep a little bit more though? I hope, I hope there's like a little more yes. sleep in your attempt. Yes. I actually get to go back to the house every night, sleep in a warm bed. My mom is going to be there at the house to make food. It's going to be much more low key than Alyssa's. Oh, well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on and for being this expert and asking all the great questions. I really appreciate it. And, and thank you, Alyssa, for sharing so much about your story. I hope it's cool for you to like, be able to like, I don't know. (laughs) Were you surprised? (laughs) I was so surprised. I did not expect this at all. And now I'm like, oh my God, Haley can pull off surprises. So now I'm always going to be like a little nervous because usually they make me so nervous. Well, Haley needs help with a tracker. Haley needs help with Instagram. And Haley also sometimes needs help with an interview. So thank you, Megan. (laughs) But uh, Thank you. We're going to take a little commercial break. And then Alyssa and I will be back with our world famous outro that is always worth listening to. Alyssa, what do popsicles, jello, and slushies all have in common? Hmm, 
They all taste like summer. Yes, but also they can all be made with noon hydration sport tabs. I have to say, it seems like the perfect way to fully embrace summer while staying properly hydrated. Agreed. If you want to make your own noon popsicles, jello, or slushies, head to noonlife.com and use the code LIVEFEISTY. That's one word with a capital L and a capital F to get 30% off your order. Also check out Noon's new podium series for pre-workout prime, during workout endurance, and post-workout recover products. That's code LIVEFEISTY at noonlife.com for 30% off. And be sure to let us know about all your summertime tasty noon hydration creations. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Okay, Alyssa, I know I caught you a little off guard with that one. For all of our listeners, I initially, I think I told Alyssa we were going to do like 10 minutes of talking about hers. And then I decided to make it a whole show and brought in one of her athletes, Megan. But I just thought that was cool. So special. And it was, I, I really appreciated Megan's insight while you were on the trail because as someone who knew the Adirondacks so well, it was really nice to have her perspective because uh, otherwise I was like Googling and trying to figure out and looking at maps. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't figure this out. So Megan was like my cliff notes. And then she did such an awesome job tracking you. And it was so fun because then I would copy her posts and post them and everyone was like, ah, so happy for you. And I'm like, it's really Megan who's doing all the work. No, it was really cool. And in those like first two sleepless nights when I was done, I was definitely like catching up on everything and getting to see some of those updates she was pushing out and things like that. And I was just really grateful because I knew so much of my like friends and family were watching and had zero idea of what was really going on. So that definitely was helpful for them to get context. I my sister has like not stopped talking about how much she likes Megan and how helpful that was. So, um, yeah, it was it was really great. And I am excited. Just we get to like track Megan coming up very soon. So we'll have to make sure that when that happens, we push out her, your your Garmin link again so that people can follow her and we can cheer for her. And all of Iron Women will be cheering for Megan as she takes becomes a 46er, takes on those 46 high peaks. She might already be a 46er. I guess like once you once you climb them all you're a 46er but doing them all in one stretch is like a different level right yeah yeah so like I I guess I technically became a 46er on day three when I did um gray and then yeah but and so she will definitely before her 13 days are up she'll be a 46er well actually she I think she might be leaving one she hasn't climbed till the very end so we'll have to we'll have to see but either way she's going to come out of those two weeks a 46er Best of luck to Megan. Thanks to her again. And Alyssa, congratulations to you again. Women's fastest known time on the 46 high peaks in the Adirondacks. Three days, 16 hours, 16 minutes. The second fastest human to like ever do that and record it. I mean, I hope you, I hope you are very proud. We're so proud of you. And I hope you have some sleep on your schedule this week. I will, uh, I will let you go. And hopefully, uh, yeah, you get to like sleep, recover, eat all the food, lots of tater tots. I, I mean, I think those should be the recovery food of, of champions as well. Thanks, Haley. Thanks so much for setting this up. It was it was nice to have like, yeah, the ability to not feel rushed and to like be able to tell you about how it all went. So I appreciated that a lot. And we do have one quick housekeeping thing. Um, if you do want to be a part of the Live Feisty team, Live Feisty is hiring and you can head to livefeisty.com. There's a new tab for opportunities and there's like a bookkeeping opportunity, a community innovator, innovator, innovator right? So like there's, yeah, there's plenty of opportunities for Interns. all sorts of things. So head to there and come work with us. Come work with us. Help Haley pull off random surprise interviews with Alyssa. Because <laughs> we all know Haley needs help. But congratulations, Alyssa. I will talk to you soon. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Taylor Mahan Rudolph. 
Thank you to our sponsors, Zillio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear, as well as the Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find websites and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomanpodcast.com.